The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. On this week's show, very excited to have Tony Smoke Stewart. Tony Stewart, man. Is he Tony? But like we call him Smoke. Oh, no, I know. But I'm just, I'm just reveling in the fact that we got to sit down with Tony Stewart in his house. Okay, so you weren't criticizing oh, absolutely my not. introduction. No. That was a close one. And you're right. This guy is a multiple NASCAR Cup champion. He is an absolute legend. He's the kind of guy that gets into anything. He's an IndyCar champion, gets into anything, drives it fast. He not only agreed to talk to us, which is crazy, he let us do it in his home, which is even cooler. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, huge honor to just spend you know even five minutes with the guy. So um, really, really excited about this interview that we have. And uh, he definitely shed some light on some... Uh, Pretty, pretty interesting things that I think you guys will love. I think you're going to enjoy it. He's coming up in a little bit. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's the best. I know that first world problems are still problems. You literally said last week how much this pissed you off. The most frustrating thing. All right, geez, let's move yeah. on. Well, I'm glad that's over. Here's, Here's what, what grinds my gears. gears. So we get asked a lot. We're like, hey, you're race car drivers. When you get on the road, is it really hard to drive slow? And no, no, the answer is no, it's not. And the reason is when you're on the road, you're surrounded by a bunch of amateurs. Where you're, When on the racetrack, you're surrounded by a bunch of professionals, right? Being surrounded by people that have no idea what they're doing is terrifying. People that drive slow in the left lane is actually one of my biggest pet peeves. I don't understand how you can't figure out the fact that everybody in the two lanes beside you is passing you and you just sit there oblivious. I literally could not agree with you anymore. Why did they get to the left lane in the first place? If they're that slow, how did they even merge into the left lane? They don't understand that there's actually a difference in lanes. I, 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 I can't, I refuse no. to, if you have a license, you understand that there oh, are different lanes 100%. and you understand that the left nope. one is the fast one nope. and you can't, you just, you shouldn't do anything. You shouldn't do anything to move bro, yourself into bro, the left lane. Bro, there is people that don't know what the L on, on their gear stick stands for. I'm mad at people that blatantly ignore the etiquette of the road. Dude, the other one that drives me nuts, super related, is people that don't put their lights on like when it gets dark or misty or well, also oh the, my god also oh the, my god also the people oh my god that, also the people that don't know what the l is in the gear stick let me tell you i care uh, less about that on this topic people that walk that don't walk on the moving walkways in, in airports 
I'm that, not sure that's the same topic, but I love where you're going with it. It is the similar topic. It is the lack of of a self-awareness of what is happening in reality around you. And you are so self-centered in your little bubble of just nothingness that you think you can just stand there when people are trying to get to their gate. We live in a world of slow is right, fast is left. Slow is right. Stand right, walk left. We live in a world where the left lane's a fast lane, the right lane's a slow lane. You should know these things as a as a human being that is a contributing member of society. If you don't, you don't contribute to society. I feel like you're not. I feel like you're holding society back. Yeah. It also grinds my gears. So James, uh, are you aware that Easter Sunday is right around the corner, April first? Uh, most most people are aware of that. It's pretty I didn't public. know if it was a thing in Canada. Pretty public knowledge. I mean, I guess Jesus came. He, back Jesus from came the back dead. on the same day, regardless, regardless of what. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yep. Um, so I have a question, and, and I and I have my answer, but I'm interested to hear yours. So let's like play a scenario here. Okay. You're over at your parents' house for like your Easter dinner. You've got your crazy uncle, your nieces, your nephews, and so. You're getting ready. It's you kind of have the appetizers. You have your little aperitif, but the TV fancy. The, the power's out. You know, it's a storm in April, I guess. Power's out. Okay. <laughs> no, power's out. Your TV doesn't work. Okay, your TV is, doesn't work. So, what board game are you playing with your family? Well, I'll tell you what. It's not. It's not Monopoly. Oh, I yeah. Thank because you. Because that game, so Monopoly Deal, the card game. If you've never heard of it, look it up. It's the greatest way to do Monopoly. Explain it to me. Monopoly deal? Is this your game? No, it's not. I'm not interested in hearing about a promo of a game unless it's actually what your game of choice is. Okay, fine. Then yeah, I'm going to go with this because it's incredible and everybody should know about it. I didn't know about it and I heard about it and I tried it. So I know nothing about it. You know nothing about it. It's a card game. It's a card game version of Monopoly and you can literally play it in like 15 minutes. And it's essentially all the same rules as Monopoly into a card game and it's the best. So is there houses? Is there green and red houses where you can buy yep. it to mess people up? Yep. Oh. You get, you collect the properties, you build you houses, have to, you, you have build to own hotels, all the colors. you get rent, you don't have to own all the colors. So what, you just you get dealt cards though? You get dealt cards and you So there's no people rolling dice them. and moving no, pieces. But it just works. Got it's, it. There's too many rules to explain now, okay. but let me tell you, Real Monopoly, I don't know who created it, but he clearly didn't like other people and that's why he created it. So can I explain to you something that I hate? The fact that Thim like collects board games—it is okay. weird. I, I, I wasn't gonna chime in. It is weird. No, you're, you're a Monopoly what? connoisseur. First Tell me all, why you like Monopoly because it's you play Monopoly, the worst game in the world. If you play Monopoly properly, it should only take forty-five minutes. People don't play it properly. See, th- you've told me this before, and I find this fascinating because clearly people don't read the rules. Okay, so there's one rule that everybody's invented that they add, where if you land on free parking, you get money. That's not in the rule book, and it just extends the game. The other rule that's there that hold everybody on, hold on. So what happens when you land on free parking? Nothing. It's a free parking space. What happens if you park on a street where you can park for free? Nobody just walks up and hands you money because you found a spot that doesn't have a toll. You just don't pay to be there. I want to play things that I already know how to do. I don't want to get it explained to me. You're well versed. You know the rules. I just, I get it, right? You know so the you, strategies. So, so my game of choice, snakes and ladders. Shoots and wow. ladders if you want. Because, like, everyone gets that. It's easy. If, if, if you get to the ladder, you go up. If you get to the shoot, you go down. But there's no like strategy to that game. Oh, because there's strategy to getting dealt cards on Monopoly Deal? Okay, look. 
I'm just going to stop you right there before you say something you regret. You cannot control the cards that are dealt to you. You can control how you play them. Snakes and ladders. Shoots and ladders. Snakes and ladders. Whatever it's called. Whether, I don't know. I feel like it might be good for Easter because there's like no explanation required, as you said, and people can just jump in and go. But I don't, I don't really think that's fun. There's no reward in winning that game. It's all luck. Because there's reward in winning a, a card game where there's no yes self satisfaction. You're out, so- outsmarted, outwitted, outplayed. All right, guys, welcome back to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I'm Alexander Rossi, and I am James Hinchcliffe, and we are here in Columbus, Indiana. Um, at a pretty special place. We're in a very special place. I, w- I would imagine there are not a lot of places like this in Columbus, Indiana. Uh, the reason we're in Columbus, Indiana is because our guest today hails from Columbus, Indiana. Any, any guesses? Are we going to... Ooh, let me guess. <laughs> let me guess. <laughs> Who I do think... you think it is? Man. Who's the most well-known person from Columbus, Indiana? Right now, it's the vice president. Is he from Columbus? He's from oh, Columbus, Indiana. Well, there's your news of the day. Yeah, sorry, man. You're so totally, yeah. you're totally so, second. You're so, the no, second coolest person. No, not necessarily, because we both have signs with our names on them at the entrance to town. So you're pretty much the same. same His level. sign is above mine, but my sign is bigger. It's also been there longer, I bet. Correct. Boom. We, of course, are talking about Tony Stewart, ladies and gentlemen. Tony, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm glad you guys came down to hang out at my place for a little while. We've... Uh, We've been on the road quite a bit in the last two and a half months, so just being able to be home is uh, a luxury right now. So uh, pretty honored to have you guys come down and hang out. Well, we appreciate that. On one of your rare days home, you let us come crash your place. And uh, I mean, while we're talking about it, while we've brought up the place, we should just mention, if you notice a small hissing in the background, (laughs) we have a unique problem this week. Not something we're expecting to experience a lot when we go to guests' homes, uh, but there's a waterfall in Tony's lobby that doesn't doesn't shut off. So if you hear a, if you hear a slight hiss in the background, we're dealing with some sound issues with the waterfall. Obviously, you've you've transitioned from from driver to owner. We'll get to that in a bit. But the NASCAR season starts with the Daytona 500 and the Super Bowl of, it's, of it's, NASCAR. Races. It's it. It's, I mean, it's the big this one. Is, this is it. Are you referring to the Demolition Derby 500 that we had? <laughs> As it's affectionately known by a lot of the drivers and team owners. Yeah, not uh, not the day that uh, Stuart Haas Racing was was hoping for. No, but there were a lot of moments that it looked promising. You know, all four of our cars had speed the whole time that we were down at speed weeks. But, you know, the hard part about Daytona is that it's just a crapshoot. seems like it kind of gets worse year to year as far as how easy it is for guys to dump each other. But, you know, guys not even trying to dump each other, just the bump draft. It's literally getting, it's been out of control for quite a while and it's, it's, just keeps progressing worse every year. I imagine, I mean, you, you were pretty vocal about it when you were still driving. That's probably a part of it you don't miss. No, I, I as a matter of fact, we were sitting uh, during the two qualifying races. Uh, Greg Zipidelli, who's our competition director, he was my crew chief for the first 10 years that I was in Cup. Uh, we were sitting on the pit box next to each other, and I said, you know what, my seat's really comfortable tonight. It's not loose, it's not tight, it's <laughs> real neutral, real comfortable, and I don't feel like I'm going to, I mean, unless I fall off the ladder getting off of this, I feel like I'm going to have a pretty good night up here. And so then as, a, as an owner now, is there this dynamic where you almost are, are happy to be slightly removed from it? Or are there scenarios where you're like, man, if I was in the car and I had that opportunity, it would have been a completely different outcome? Or is that not really 
a thought process. No, I, I'll be honest. When I got out of the car, it was like a clean cut for me. It, it really wasn't a drama. The the my favorite racetrack was Richmond because it's very low grip. Uh, it's very much a driver's track. I mean, you have to roll on and off the throttle. It's not just stab and steer and, and go. Uh, that was the only time that I missed it a little bit was the first race that I went to. Uh, other than that, especially the restrictor plate tracks, even though, I mean, we're the second winningest driver in Daytona International Speedway history, and I don't miss being in a car there at all. <laughs> I love the facility and love being there. All right, so so that's a more recent look at uh, at what Tony Stewart's up to, but let's take a step back. Grew up in Columbus, Indiana. How'd you get into racing? My father uh, raced a, a Triumph in SCCA, but I remember when I was really, really young, going to IRP in Indianapolis yep. and watching him race. But I, I don't even call it a low budget. I call it a no budget <laughs> race team. Well, it was vintage racing almost at that point, right? Well, his budget was vintage also. <laughs> so, uh, but it was fun. I mean, and we went, I went to a lot of races with him. And then uh, I think when I was around six, my, my dad bought a yard cart at an at a auction in town. And uh, over the course of the next two years, destroyed my mother's backyard. <laughs> and she literally said, it's got to go. So you either get him a racing cart or we're done with this. But it's this this thing is leaving my backyard. So that's, you know, when I turned old eight, when I was old enough to race go-karts, then they bought me a proper cart. So did you start road racing then? No, start oh, on it, dirt tracks. It was dirt tracks? Yeah. And growing up in Indiana, racing on dirt tracks, the natural progression, the natural initial goal was not actually NASCAR. Oh, NASCAR wasn't even remotely on my mind back then. You were you an Indy 500 fan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I literally am one hour from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So that's all I cared about was... And I didn't even have aspirations of racing at Indy because it was so far-fetched to, to have those dreams. I, I basically raced go-karts till I turned 18. And then I went into a division called three-quarter midgets. And I thought if I ever got to the stage where I could race full midgets and sprint cars and make a living that I would be extremely happy and feel like I hit the lottery and had no idea at that time that I was going to have the opportunity to do much more. So not only did you get to become a racing driver and achieve that childhood dream, but you are the only person that's won a NASCAR championship and an IndyCar championship. I mean, that is, I can't even fathom that because it's such a, for the people that don't know, I mean, it's such a completely different form of driving of racing of, of approach of methodology of everything the fact that you were able to transition to, to to both is something that i think every racing driver looks up to i mean was how was that transition was it something that took a huge amount of time to kind of switch to or was it did it come naturally or did you have it's a very well, different discipline right yeah so. completely different and that was the hard part because they happened at the same time i mean i, I literally won the triple crown in 95 with usac and went to Australia that winter to race because the seasons are offset. So right in the middle of their summer, was racing dirt races over there. Signed my first NASCAR contract while I was in Australia. Landed back in the U.S. I was in bed at four in the afternoon because the time sure. is off. Sure, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> it was four weeks after I got back from Australia, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I was still really jet lagged. But I, I got a phone call uh, from the guy that was managing me at the time, which was Kerry Agajanian. And uh, he goes, you got to be in Orlando the first thing in the morning. I'm like, Carrie, I just got off an airplane two hours ago. He goes, I know, but he goes, you, you have an opportunity to test an Indy car at Disney. So literally a week before that, I signed a NASCAR contract. Okay. So, so why do the States. test? Why do the test? Yeah. 
because why not? Okay. You know, who's going to turn down that opportunity? No, I agree with you, but I'm surprised that given the fact you'd already signed a contract, you were looking at other opportunities. Well, I mean, well, obviously it was a great Put, put it to us. If you got a phone call tonight mm-hmm. and tomorrow you could be in at Daytona just testing a cup car. Yeah, obviously I'd go. Exactly. Well, there you go. I retract my previous question. My esteemed colleague has corrected my thinking. I mean, I would definitely one. go. I'd go like right now. I guess the key to that answer was I signed a contract with Harry Rainier, who back in the day when Kale Yarborough drove the Hardy's 28 car, that's who owned the 28 car, was Harry Rainier. And he had got out of the sport and was just getting back into the sport. They didn't have intentions of running a full-time schedule okay, okay. in 96. So the IndyCar or the IRL schedule for 96 only had five races. So they didn't have a problem with me trying to do that if that opportunity came. So, uh, but I was committed to the stock car side and, and if I got an opportunity to race a year or two in IndyCar and then go stock car racing, that was fine. But we had no idea what was going to happen at the end of 96 for sure. So you went there, you did the test. It went well. It went really well. Clearly. And you end up running full-time IndyCar the next year. We signed my contract on a cocktail napkin. <laughs> Dude, I... <laughs> after my test. That loved, is awesome. It was right after the test. Right after so the like test. So the test happened that night. that night. Yes. Does anybody have that napkin? <laughs> Carrie might have that napkin, but I, don't, I do not have that napkin. But I wish I had it. The day that I went for the, for the test, I got there around noon the next day. Uh, after I got the flight and watched Eddie Cheever finish out the rest of the first day. And Eddie looked at me like I was the devil. Wouldn't come talk to me. Looked at me like he hated my guts. I never met the guy. So he finished testing the first day. Then he tested the first half of the next day. And it was just like the opening scene of Days of Thunder. He got <laughs> He got out of the car, climbed over the wall, and he goes, if you crash this, I'll kill you. That's what he said. That's what he said to me. Did the, did the first time you got into a car on an oval, did somebody look at you and say, if you crash this, I'll kill you? Kind of. Yeah, I me mean, too. Yeah. <laughs> be, it would be I mean, one actually, thing if yeah. the car owner said that to me, yeah. but For here was other, Eddie. Right. And That's so funny. I'm scared to death at this point. I'm like, man, if I screw <laughs> up and even scratch this thing, I'm going to die. Eddie doesn't even stick around. I mean, he went, as soon as he got out of the car, he told me that, changed clothes, and he left. So I'm like, well, the good news is he's not going to kill me for at least a day or two. I I got a head start. Right. (laughs) So luckily for me, I didn't scratch anything, and I ran a tenth and a half faster than him, and he can kiss my ass now. Boom. (laughs) Okay, so we know what happened. You do the test. You get the job. Sorry, Eddie. Switching gears a little bit, uh, two-part question. First part, really quick, one-word answer, yes or no, or not yes or no, one or the other, A or B. What is, what is more stressful, being a driver, being a team owner? Definitely a team owner. Definitely a team owner? Yeah. Because you, you have no control. of Once the cars leave the grid, you have no control of what's going to happen. And now you have but a financial it, interest in it as well. Yeah, which at Daytona, you just sit there and start writing $250,000 checks just every time you see one of your cars crash. Lighting dollar bills on fire and throwing them into the wind. Yeah, but that would actually be more fun than <laughs> what happened <laughs> with my cars. Because I like fire. and Fire's fun. It would be fun, but fire's fun. to watch them just go crunch and sit there and go, well, that was fun. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at at AskOffTrack, or you can take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram or Snapchat story. We're also taking emails at ask at offtrackpod.com and phone calls at 317-731-2372. That's ask at offtrackpod.com and 317-731-2372. If you like what you have to say, we'll mention it on the next show. 
So you better make it good. We're also on Twitter at at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. And of course, Thim is available at at the Tim Durham. We're going to get that switched to at the Thim Durham any day now. You are an engaged man. I had a weak moment. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm going to say that's probably not something some people saw coming based on you in general through your, you know, public life at least. Uh, how did that happen? Tell us all. Tony Stewart, the hopeless romantic. I'll be honest. I had a good 46-year run. I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> but Penelope of, won't listen to this, right? <laughs> listen, I'm already too too far vested in this to get out of this deal anyway, so she can listen all she wants. It's actually partially your fault. Uh, I'm blaming Marco on this one. Well, I'm 1,000% blaming Marco on this. We, so are we uh, talking about Marco yeah, Andretti? Yeah, to, to fill in yeah. everybody who doesn't know the story, uh, Marco Andretti, a fellow IndyCar driver of, of James and Alex, uh, introduced my teammate, uh, you and Penelope. Stole my car. Right? Yeah, I hate him for it. <laughs> how did it happen? How, so how did you guys meet? Uh, Marco texted me one night, and I guess they were getting ready to go to dinner in California, in L.A., and I was my presence was requested by... Penelope somehow in this equation and I said well she had lost she? a bet of some sort <laughs> that's the way I figured it it could I because I still to this day can't figure out how this actually happened but the day that we actually met was the day after I broke my back uh, oh, in Glamis no yeah and they flew me to Palm Springs to the hospital there and uh, we had been talking and and she at five o'clock in the afternoon she texted me and she said so how's the riding going and I said, well, it went really good for the first 45 <laughs> minutes. And then there was an hour there that was pretty rough. And then yeah, yeah <laughs> somebody two, found two hours me. of two laying hours in, 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 in a sandstorm. But I said, they think they think I might have broke my back. And she said, F off. Seriously, how's it going? So I took a picture of laying in the hospital bed with the leads hanging out on my T-shirt, waiting to get the results back. So she said, where are you at? I said, Palm Springs. She goes, I'm, I'm an hour and a half from there. I said, well, can you come babysit, I, you know, for lack of better terms, because They've got me on pain medicine, and I'm going to have to make some pretty big decisions here in the next, you know, four to six hours, most likely. She goes, I would love to, but she goes, I've been drinking wine with my girlfriends, and I can't drive. So she goes, I'll be there at 8 o'clock the next morning. And literally, it was like the clock at high school, you know, how did the two-stage click, click. When it clicked the second time, she walked through the door. and Amazing. There was like this big glow around her like an angel came through. But it could have been the pain medicine. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, was but, a, I was on a lot of drugs at the time. But that's, uh, that's literally the first time that we physically met each other was at the hospital. So how did you pop the question? Uh, actually here at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, Penelope's parents are from Ensenada, Mexico. And her brother lives uh, around Long Beach. And so we had them here for Thanksgiving. And uh, all of my family was here except for my sister who was at her in-laws for Thanksgiving. And we actually got them involved in, in the process. And oh, really? Got her and my thing? niece and nephew involved in it when we did this. But uh, just had our Thanksgiving dinner and proposed to her at the end of dinner. There you go. And was she surprised or did she know it was coming? She was surprised enough that I'm, I was so scared and nervous that I have a good knee and a bad knee from some of my accidents right. also. And... I got down on the bad knee. She never said yes or no. And I'm like, this is one of those deals that requires a yes or no answer. This is a black or white thing. And thank God my sister finally stepped up after about two minutes of, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Oh my gosh. And the longer that went, I'm sitting there thinking, this might not uh, work. (laughs) So my sister goes, was that yes or no? And she goes, oh my God, yes. So, and then I couldn't get off the ground. So (laughs) my my knee was killing me. (laughs) 
All right, Tony. So James and I and a group of friends, we have this thing called Brunner. So it started out as we all get together for brunch. And then it turned into a, an all-day event that included dinner. So, you know, the, the natural progression would then to be naming it Brunner. So what do you do on your day off, on your weekend off? What do you do here? You know, you don't have a lot of space, really, to, <laughs> to accomplish confined. anything. So, I mean, <laughs> I see you have your kitchen and your driveway and a little living room with the, with the waterfall you plug into the wall. But what do you do? What do you do for fun? You know, in the summer, I like to, I've got an eight and a half acre lake here. I love to go fish on it. I, I would say lately when we've had time off, it is, uh, it has turned into third shift eye racing. What, what do you race on eye racing? Everything, everything, mainly sprint cars. Um, I have a part-time house guest who lives here in the summer that is a sprint car racer, Enrico Abreu, and it is not uncommon to have the guy that takes care of the house that shows up at 7.30 in the morning to meet him in the kitchen as I'm going to bed and he's getting here for it. <laughs> from so, I racing. You from pull I racing. all-nighters I racing. Oh, yeah. That's how you unwind. Yeah. And I don't have to deal with Penelope that way. So. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it easy. I don't have to go to bed. On I racing, you have to have it associated with your name, right? Do you, do you race yeah. under your real name? Yeah. Or? Okay. Absolutely. So anybody on I racing, if you've raced Tony Stewart, you've raced Tony Stewart. Actually raced Tony Stewart. And if you got wrecked by me, you were probably in the way. You're like most people in NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You join a long, long, a long, long list, list of very accomplished drivers. Why don't you have an I racing set up at your house? I got to I gotta work on that. That's, that's 2018's goal. That's my New Year's resolution. We should get like a two-for-one deal on one. We should. We'll get Wicked's involved, get a three-for. iRacing could be the only thing that could get me out of this marriage. It could be the <laughs> only thing that stops it. You're just holding on to that trump card just in case? Well, you need an exit strategy? I'm realizing that it's become an exit strategy if I want to exercise it. She is not a fan of iRacing. Really? Yeah, she likes, she likes to, when she's ready to go to bed, she wants everybody to go to bed. And I literally, at 9 o'clock at night, kiss her on the forehead and say, see you tomorrow. And I kind of like it. It's not too bad. <laughs> Been sleeping in a different bedroom each you're, night. And it feels like a different hotel. You're learning this marriage thing real quick. You're, you're picking up on this. All right. We're going to switch now into what we call the lightning round. It's not. We're going to need I mean, a new name for this at some point. So yeah. far, lightning round has not really been very accurate in terms drizzle. of how it actually Light, light drizzle. We're going to ask you questions. And <laughs> it's been more like the sunshine round. It's been, yeah, it's been, it's been like a lazy day on the beach round. All right, kick it off, Alex. Let's do it. Okay, Tony. Um, favorite racer growing up? AJ Foyt. Boom. That was fast. Well, that one, yeah, that one we kind of already knew. All right, I was going to say the next question was going to be your favorite track, but you already mentioned Richmond, and you also own your own track. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it up here. Least favorite track? Pocono was my least favorite track. Any reason in particular or just in Because it, the straightaways were so long that you had way too much time to think about what you wanted to have for dinner after the race was over. <laughs> I loved Pocono and actually ran well at Pocono, but there were just times that we got so spread out there mm-hmm. that, that I didn't quite enjoy it as much as some of the other tracks. Fair. Favorite career moment? That one is still a toss-up, I'll be honest. It's, We've had a it couple is, of them. It's a toss-up between winning the Triple Crown in 95, winning my first Brickyard 400, or the 2011 championship that we won. Dude, that race, that Homestead race in 2011 was awesome. That was, as a fan, that was one of the coolest, like, days of racing that I've watched as a, as a fan in a long time. That was, that it was had incredible. about three days worth of drama in one race. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think, and I can't remember, I, I would... 
I have the number somewhere, but I think it was around like 115, 117 cars that we passed for position, not counting lap cars. Right. So going forward, going to the back, going back forward, going back to the back. And you're racing Rain delays, fuel mileage racing, having to be running second to Carl and my crew chief saying, I need you to save fuel and watching him get smaller and smaller in front of me. Just rain delays, all that stuff just was crazy. Awesome. That was awesome. Fastest you've ever driven off the track. We like asking our guests. Oh, yeah. This is one that makes our legal team really happy with me. This is the basement of trust. No one else will hear this except us and the internet. Right, right. Yeah, just us and everyone on the internet. You guys will keep it secret, right? Listening at home? I think think it was yes. I heard something. I I did run Mark Dismore's father's Corvette at Indy after a test, which they weren't very impressed with. Uh, The Speedway officials weren't very impressed. But I ran 150 into turn three with the Corvette. But I've ran 155 on the interstate once. Realized that was a really bad idea. Really, <laughs> there's no really safer barriers on. No safer barriers and that's just that's semis. just straight to jail. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, they don't do they not don't pass go. That. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Yeah, yes. Go straight to jail. Just you're in jail. Yes. What's your daily driver? A Ford Raptor pickup truck. Boom. I love it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wager a bet here that we're not gonna get a super straight answer on this one. Because you don't seem like a, like this. I really hope you are this kind of guy because now we'll have to do it together. But what's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> I'm smart enough to not get drunk yeah. enough to sing karaoke. No, that's, no, that's, that, a, lie. that's false. Yet. That's I, a lie. I did it one time when we won the second championship in 05 in New York. The whole team got up there and they said they got us all up there for whatever reason. But we sang a Kid Rock song or something up there. But if I, if I were going to sing karaoke, it would probably be a Kid Rock song. Kid Rock song. Yeah. All right. That, that falls in my wheelhouse. Okay. That's good. Last movie you saw. I don't know. I'd have to ask Penelope. What? Fifty Shades? <laughs> just did come I out. I did accidentally see the last one on, on the satellite last week while we were at Daytona. Accidentally? Pretty interesting. Yeah, it wasn't exactly my story. first choice. Yeah. There had been a movie on before that that oh, I so was Oh, so your remote watching. was broken, so you couldn't... No, I said I, I didn't watch the whole thing. <laughs> when I came back from dinner and sure. turned the TV back on, it was back on the sure. same I mean, I went, and saw, I went and saw it with Tim in theaters. So. And with yeah. it was you, me, and James's girlfriend, right. full disclosure yeah, there. But it, to be fair, it wasn't weird. That's really it, good because I was feeling really bad. Yeah, well, don't, don't I mean, it wasn't it. like it was a romantic night. I mean, it was Valentine's Day. But uh, <laughs> that, that's a true story, actually. No, actually. I was not. I was in the same city, but not present when these two. How do you pull that Wait, off? Wait, you were there. I was working. You were in L.A. on Valentine's Day. No, was, this is the year before. This isn't this year. It's become somewhat of a tradition. Moving swiftly. Uh, we're getting sw- off track here, guys. Sw- <laughs> that never happens do you, here. <laughs> do you have a uh, Do you have a song that's stuck in your head right now? No. What is your favorite song then? Oh God, Kid Rock. Oh, is it? Is it no, you? no, it's not always Kid Rock. It's um, I'm a classic rock guy, so it can be anything from Led Zeppelin, from ACDC, AC, yes, Boston. It, it can be anything as long as it's classic rock. All right, so that was actually probably the best lightning round. That's the that quickest lightning round we've so had, which we appreciate is that. shocking. Uh, it's time for battle royale. Round one. Fight. I give you a category of people and the hypothetical situation of if that category of people were all involved in a battle to the death, who would be the winner? Uh, you guys all get to come up with your answers. I will be the very partial judge. Uh, today's topic is country music singers. 
You can pick any era, any time at their peak or where they are now, whatever you want. I'll what start. if we ha- can we can we expand on that and actually make it a tag team brawl at that? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you think there are like two musicians that would team up, yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, I, I think I'm if I had to, to see this one, if I had to pick one, I think Trace Atkins would probably be the guy that I think would go in there and just thrash everybody. Okay, but if it was a tag team match, I would have to throw Waylon Jennings in that category. Solid. Interesting. I would not pick Willie Nelson because he would be so stoned he would just be happy to be in the ring. He's a lover, not a fighter. That's right. He's a lover, not a fighter. Alex. I was going to choose Willie Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really... See, this is where it's it's bad for me. I don't really have a reason other than what he looks like. And I knew that... Does he look particularly tough? I don't know. I feel, no. You don't, does, how do, you, do you not know what he looks like? I do know what he looks like. You're, you've got the Google machine up. You're looking at his picture. I'm, I feel like... He's a thousand years old. I understand that, but and I just... The, and the crazy thing is he's going to live another thousand years, most likely. I it's just super feel, impressive. I just, he, you he's pickled. Yeah, okay. Let's hear this. My you're going to need... My argument is Willie Nelson will win in a brawl because he will have access to a, a number of people who have dealt with far worse people than he has. Oh, so you think he's going to bring in outside help? I to think this no. I just think there's a lot of people that have Willie's back. Yeah, but that's not how and this works. That's not how wh- this works. Why not? He'd no, be no, off the no, he'd be no, off the mat no, no, before no, no. those no, guys showed up. Here's he's the thing: last Willie long. Willie walks into a ring, and people are looking out for him. People that have... not the people that are there to beat him up, and those are the only other people in the ring. All right, so Alex loses. Uh, I'm Alex a, loses. I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. Alex, but you're on. All right, you're so on I, Jack stands right I, now. I like where Tony's gone with this, and I'm gonna do the same thing. I'll give you my one, and then I'll I'll add a tag team in case. All right, because right. obviously Alex isn't in this so, conversation. So I can't just, tag just, team. No, you're, no, I mean you could have, but you missed. You tag teamed Willie Nelson with the rest of his friends. Yeah, like you didn't pick another country musician. You're just like a vague group of people that would be like, yeah, I'm a ride or die Willie Nelson fan. He picked a lead. Of fans, I, I, I met Willie Nelson fans. They're not like you know what? Yeah, I'd, I'd murder somebody for him. They're Again, like, ah, I they're just smoke some weed, and yeah. listen to some I, music. We'll all hug it out. Yeah, they'll try and convince everybody to hug it out, and that's just not what this is about. Battle Royale is not about hugging it out. All right, here's what I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Brantley Gilbert because the guy, the guy seems pretty hard. That guy seems pretty rough. Just because he has tattoos, and tattoos fashion and rings. piercings and stuff like that, and he's got some like he's like he's like country rock, like he's a little harder. I, I feel like that guy. He could do some damage. Now, if we were gonna, he sung, gonna tag he team, sung one song about moonshine. If we're gonna tag team. I would, I would have his partner be Hank Williams the third, because that dude is out of his damn mind, and I think he could do some. Like he's afraid of nothing. He would go in swinging like a spider monkey. Like a spider, he would go at you like a spider monkey. All right, I'm gonna give you Hank Williams the third. Uh, he definitely looks like he could hold himself in a fight. Yeah, Brantley Gilbert looks like that guy who like takes pictures of himself working out at the gym. Like, he's intentionally he wearing not. the clothes to, he like, look not. tough. Whereas, like, Waylon Jennings would just mess you up. I think I'm going to have to give it to Tony on this with Trace Adkins and Waylon Jennings. I feel this very overwhelming uh, belief. You just give this award to whoever's establishment we are in. All right, guys. Well, um, this has been this has been. An- Awesome. It's been a very entertaining and educational yes. episode with Mr. Tony Stewart. I'm sorry, but the education is, it's a poor education. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's way more than we have. And it's been a huge honor to come to your home. Uh, thank you so much for having us, for, for allowing us to do this here. And um, we definitely can't wait to see, you know, how, the, how your team does this year and, and how it all progresses. We certainly wish you all the best and thank you again. Thanks to Tony Stewart for joining us on the show this week. You can find him on Twitter at 
at Tony Stewart and on Instagram at TSR Smoke. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at at AskOffTrack, or you can take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram or Snapchat story. We're also taking emails, and that's at ask at offtrackpod.com and phone calls at 317-731-2372. That's ask, A-S-K, at offtrackpod.com and 317-731-2372. If we like what you have to say, we'll mention it on the next show, so you better make it good. We're also on Twitter at at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. And if you want to, though we have no idea why you would, you can follow producer Thim at at the Tim Durham. The music you heard on this episode was written by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. And the show was produced by Chris Boniello and Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate, as well as Thim himself, Tim Durham. Also Peter Vincer, Matt Monrian, and Lucy Shen at CastBox. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot because, well, we think it's the best. We'd also like to thank Breakmaster Cylinder for the jingles. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.